Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com here, along with Doug Lee Maurice, the Thursday version of Monday Madness. You can come up with your own Thursday alliteration word. We're not going to that trouble. We're putting all the trouble into the actual content of the episode, all the work, all the focus, not the actual naming of the episode. A lot of OSU things to talk about today. The OSU roster situation as they try to get down to 85 and will eventually get down to 85, but kind of tracking how that process is developing here in the spring and what it means. Where things stand, Ohio State wise, as far as the coaching staff salary, what it means that they now have a the biggest assistant coaching salary pool in their history. And then we'll close things out with what you're watching and what you're eating. Doug will tell you, Doug and I will tell you a little bit about uh, what's going on in our lives in that regard. But let's start off with. The roster watch. Everyone knows Ohio State has to get down to 85 by the start of the season. Every team does. They were at about 92, not that long ago. And then within the past month, there's been enough attrition through various things, whether that was Harry Miller stepping away from the program, whether that was the transfers that happened um, here just in the last week or Darian Henry Young transferring a month ago. They're now down to 88. It's not an uncomfortable number. It's obviously something that they have to address, but I don't, I don't think it's a number that probably causes them a lot of headaches at this stage. And I don't think it's a number that would preclude them from bringing someone else in. It's hard because they've already had three transfers, right? Darren Henry Young, Bryson Shaw, Legend Cavazos, and they're still at 88. Sometimes right. it's like, oh, well, you know, it's like, oh, well, we had the, they had the transfers that got them down to 85. It's like, no, well, the, the three so far just got you down from 92. So on one hand, I agree, like it's fine. It seems on track. It seems normal. And it also seems like, you know, this week with Shaw and Cavazos announcing this week was a little bit of like moving day. But it's a reminder of that they were way o- <laughs> they were way over for a while that you've lost three legit dudes from the roster on the defensive side of the ball. And you're, you still need to do that again. Cause 
frankly, this is going to come from the defensive side of the ball because they're about there on offense. They frankly are almost under on offensive numbers, but they're so far over on defensive numbers that nobody is surprised by Henry Young, Shaw, and Cavazos transferring, but it's not enough yet. So we obviously have in the past tried to stay away from speculating too much kind of wildly on individual player transfers. The one exception to that has often been quarterbacks just because the way that they've constructed the room, you had to have blunt conversations about that, I think, out in the open. But I thought it would make sense for us to kind of go position by position a little bit, only comparing them to the numbers that Ryan Day himself put out. He was the one who sort of established, well, here's the rough number of guys or pretty much kind of the exact number of guys that we want in each group. And that pretty much added up to 85. I think it was like, maybe it actually added up to 86 and you had some positions that were, you could swing one or the other, but that when we broke that down, he broke that down for us a couple of months ago. It sort of got us to 85 before we do that. I wanted to point out a couple of guys. Number one, I already said, Harry Miller, he will, I think, stay on scholarship that will be honored by Ohio state, but will not count against the 85 is my understanding of things. Yeah, and that's, which, that happens a lot. Which like, it's nice. It doesn't matter. Cause if you medically right. retired medical hardship, you keep your school scholarship, but you don't count against the 85. Yeah. So I, yeah. I just want to make sure that people didn't think that we were saying Ohio state True. just booted Harry Miller off of scholarship. Well, and there, good point. Good point. Right. And there are a couple of guys here who, I think their scholarship status is we are counting them towards what is now the number of 88. They may have some flexibility. For instance, Mitch Rossi, who was a walk-on and who was put on scholarship at one point, but often in those situations, those are one-year deals. So I think if they got down to August 14th or whatever, and they were still at 86, they might have to have a conversation. I don't, but I think they have some flexibility with him. I don't know hundred percent for sure what the deal is with Jake Seibert also who came as a gray shirt, but it has been on scholarship. So I assume they will carry two scholarship kickers, assuming both he and Noah Ruggles stick around. I don't know if I'd assume that. I don't think that you can't take Jake Seibert scholarship away from him. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm yes. saying, I'm not saying I assume they both will stay. I'm yeah. assuming if they both stay, they will both be on scholarship. Yeah, the, the walk-ons who get scholarships, that's usually as long as we have a space. Right. And then if you don't have a space, it's like, hey, man, it was a bonus anyway. But then often what happens is we have our anticipated number. We've got to get to the 85. And then something goofy happens. Not, you know, not goofy, but somebody transfers after the third game, right? Mm-hmm. Or that kind of thing where it's like, oh, now it's back open again. And then you can get a guy back on for the winter, that kind of thing. So that kind of stuff happens a lot but yes it 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 does provide a wiggle spot if need be if it gets to crunch time now if a guy does leave the program but stays in school his scholarship keeps counting for that current period too like i was told yesterday that dallas gant and Kayvon pope are both still counting towards the actual scholarship number that the program has right now which now we've already taken them off because they obviously won't count again for the fall it's not even worth talking considering them for that but as far as who they had to count right now and i don't know the specifics of this there was it may affect 
how the number that you can bring in as early enrollees. I kind of got that impression from someone, and I don't I don't want to go down that road because I don't know all the specifics. But that was definitely the impression I got that there there could be if you get too many of those types of players, it can actually affect you. I don't know that it actually affected Ohio State. So, so we're going to start off on offense because, as you said, Doug, they are a little bit light there by Ryan Day's own definition. He said back in December when you asked him a question and he gave this like fantastic breakdown of both sides of the ball that in his perfect world, it's sort of 41 on each side and then three special teams guys, which usually would include, I think a long snapper, but right now it doesn't include a long snapper, doesn't include two kickers, but three specialists. Um, So right now on the offensive side of the ball, they have only 40 scholarships committed Uh, at quarterback. The number he gave us was four right now. They only have three. I don't know that I expect that to get to four this year. I think they're probably going to roll with three and their fourth guy will be whichever of the walk-on group yeah. pushes four. But these three guys seem set for the fall. And then maybe two quarterbacks in the next recruiting class. Perhaps, yeah. yeah. And maybe one that it fits your description more of like a true backup kind of guy, right? Like a guy who isn't necessarily um, one of the top prospects in the country. I don't know if they'll ever – Will they ever do that again? Get two, but the way, I, I wouldn't. I'd say, never say never with the way Ryan Day is doing quarterbacks right now. I guess I, I also wonder. I, I almost want to ask Ryan Day about this now. Um, you know, when they brought in Chris Chuganoff a couple of years ago from West Virginia as a guy who had played in some games, had played in Power Five games, was never going to be a guy here. Gunnar Hoke was a little different because Gunnar Hoke like just had not played a ton, and but but Chugs kind of knew what was up a little bit. I do wonder if they would be open to that or that if they would be, maybe they don't want to recruit a backup, but if you always think, how do I say this? You want four quarterbacks in your room, but depending who the fourth guy is, the fourth guy might always be transferring. ABT, always be transferring. Coffee is for closers. (laughs) Um, (laughs) How many years before Steven was born did that come out? Yeah, I know. I'm glad he's not here. We wouldn't want to do that to him. So I do think, uh, I do think, does that open your mind to like, you know what? We'd like to get a backup here who has two years of eligibility. Who's just going to be here. You know, who's a guy that we could put it in the game in an emergency can run scout team for us. We trust that's worth a scholarship because we're going to be, we're going to try to get, we're going to get a scholarship quarterback in every class. We are, we're going to do that. But in order to have one scholarship quarterback in every class equaling four scholarship quarterbacks in the roster, those guys have to stay four years. Well, A, you're going to lose them probably because some of them are going to be too good and they're going to go to the NFL after three and other guys are going to be blocked and they're going to leave before they get to a fourth year. So how do you get to four? How do you keep four quarterbacks on your roster, four scholarship quarterbacks on your roster if it's just recruiting a top 100 national player every year. I don't know how you, maybe it's, it's really hard to do that. So do you have to have a chug? I don't, I don't know. And I think that's also tough too, because if you remember 2019, you could have lured a transfer here more easily because they were going to be the backup right behind Justin Fields. Whereas you bring, if you want to bring one in now, are they really going to be ahead of Comic Court or maybe even Devin Brown on the depth chart? Like, right. it, it, you could probably convince someone who is has gotten passed over at another Power Five 
to come here and be second in line for you behind a great quarterback who they can't beat out because they're one snap away. But here you're like many snaps away. You're like literally the Thanos snap away. You would need that to happen and like half the population to get wiped out and hope that the three guys in front of you were among those guys because you're not getting on the field. And, and then you think about, so if you think about 2023, right? Say they bring in two big time recruits. Say they get a Jack Miller and CJ Stroud in this next recruiting class. And then CJ Stroud goes to the NFL. So then in the 2023 season, you would have Kyle McCord, Devin Brown, and two true freshmen. So you have four scholarship quarterbacks. Well, then what about 2024? Well, there's a chance that in 2024, if McCord has a great year, he's gone. And that one of the two true freshmen is like, hey, I'm not even the first guy in my class. I'm gone. And now you're down to two again. And now are you going to recruit two again? Like, I think they they probably are going to get to a spot where because, A, they're developing NFL quarterbacks at a high level, ideally, and those guys maybe are going to go. And, B, they're going to have talented guys here who don't want to wait forever. You may you may get to a world where you've got to have a veteran transfer quarterback in those four. Otherwise, you're never going to have four or you're seldom going to have four that in a five year cycle, you'll wind up with four scholarship quarterbacks one or two years out of five. If you don't start adding a veteran, a veteran transfer backup. Okay, I've we have now formed a very sophisticated, hard to articulate. Not first priority, but interesting roster management question for Ryan Day that we will have to try to ask. I don't know when. Probably not two days before the spring game next week, no, but no. we'll figure out a way to ask it eventually. That'd be a great summer question if Jerry just throws us a bone like, hey, mid-June, you guys want to talk to Ryan Day real quick? That might be a good question for that day. So we'll we'll put that in the hopper or however they say. Let's just do a quick on each as each one of these as we go down by position. We'll just say, do we think that number changes before the fall? I think that number does not change. I think they have three scholarship quarterbacks in 2022. Agree. Running back, his stated number was five. They have five. The one guy who is in the tough spot is Marcus Crowley, but it's really not necessarily just him getting passed over. He's also just not been healthy enough right. to play. And I would assume that he and I think they'll just be at five scholarships again for the fall with running back. Agree. And that's obviously Dallin Hayden, who's not here right now, but will be here in the fall uh, receiver. He said 11. They have 10. And we talked about this on the pod. I guess it was earlier this week or last week. And we were saying it, it does. You kind of see now how they are a little bit light there. It was something we hadn't considered before. But then after last Saturday, when they did the open scrimmage and you had like um, Xavier Johnson on the second string at receiver, no offense to him, but it did seem like there was something, maybe a small element missing from that room. And just by their own scholarship chart, that makes sense. But I don't think that number changes either before the fall. Agree. And I, they know it's light because they have 10, four of the 10 are true freshmen. One of the 10 is 10 is Cam Babb who we all think is talented, but as one of the worst injury luck strings that, that we've seen. And one of the 10 is Jaden Ballard, who's a second year guy who maybe, I mean, is there, he is their fifth receiver right now. If Babs healthy, maybe Babs their fifth receiver, but Jaden Ballard isn't maybe quite ready yet exactly to have a huge role. So it's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable, but this is going to be a reality as well. 
and listen, I'm slow on the pickup. Sometimes there was a time like 18 months ago, I think I would have been like, man, why did they recruit so many receivers? And now it's like, Oh no, they need more receivers. So Brian Hartline, but Brian Hartline knew it the whole time. It's like, why do you recruit four receivers in every class? And he's like, well, there's a decent chance one's going to transfer. And there's a decent chance that one or two are going to be ready for the NFL after three years. So if you would like me to have a room that makes sense and has 11 receivers like Ryan Day once, I have to recruit four every year. Idiot. Yeah. And you would wonder, like, why didn't they fix this a couple of years ago? Like, was this poor planning? But I think as you'll see, as we get to the next position, it explains why this is off a little bit. But also real quick, that receiver, yes, they're short there, but it's kind of like a all killer, no filler situation there. Like it is really like all guys who were like top 12 at their position who were recruited. So it's not like they're, it's not like a soft 10. It's not like it's a weak 10. Is that a phrase? Did you just all killer, no filler? filler? Is that a thing? No, no, no. That's like a, that's like a, a a rock uh, album uh, term. Is it a rap phrase? Like a rock, like Dwayne Johnson, like the rock. rock? No, like rock music. Oh, like rock like, music? Like rock bands, like, uh, you know, headbangers, long hair, that sort of thing. All killer, no filler. Yeah. I would like that. That's how I think would be a good slogan for a crab cake, too. All killer, no filler. It would be a good, it would be a good podcast on its own. Like all killer, no filler. Like these are the albums that were like top to bottom, great albums. No wasted songs. Oh. When I hear filler, I think. I think cream filling of a donut, but mm. in that case, I want filler. So like all killer, no filler. It's like, I want limited killer, lots of filler. If it's custard. Well, it's that's lots of filler and also a killer. Like you will die. Oh no, no, that's, that is, that is my album. That is my album name. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, we don't think that that 10 scholarships will change tight end. His number was five. They actually have six right now. If, like I said before, if Mitch Rossi, is on scholarship. And if you're looking back a couple years, why would that number be off? Well, one of the receivers and their shorter receiver is now a tight end and they're over on tight ends. I think that plays into that math a little bit. And it's also one of those things where, you know, flexibility is good here. If, if Jackson Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison Jr. And Julian Fleming all got abducted by aliens next week, you know, who could play receiver G Scott could play receiver. It's like, well, we made you get big. You want to run from routes? He'd be like, I'll run routes. Well, yeah, it's fine. So, but also, yeah. So like they're one under at receiver. They're one over at tight end. And it's because they have a converted receiver playing tight end. But so it, it all, it's, it's all fine. It's all fine. There's no five alarm fire at either of those positions. Do we think that number changes for the fall? I think it does either by attrition or Mitch Rossi not being on scholarship. Uh, agree. By the way, just to note of one of the things I think maybe we didn't note yesterday when CJ Stroud was talking, Tim May is always good at this. Says, just give me a name. Hey, I, you know, tries to pin kid the guys down. Say, you know, I don't want to say everybody, you know, give me a name. Someone is really and, and asked for a name of someone on the offense who stood out. CJ Stroud said Joe Royer. So put I'm that in still, your back pocket. I, yeah, I, I, it, I think you're going to see. A lot of Cade Stover and a lot of Joe Royer at tight end this fall. Royer is just kind of, he's been on the path. Yeah. He's got the roughly the body they're looking for. I know that he sometimes gets talked about as like a sort of one of those receiver first guys. But again, physically, he's a little bit closer to what they want than, for instance, G. Scott. Mm-hmm. So 
we'll we'll see how that goes. But I expect him to be one of the top two tight ends for this fall, at least as we stand right now. Offensive line, Ryan Day said they want 16. They have 16 right now. But that's it's kind of the opposite of receiver. They're at their number, but it feels soft because right now they are injured there. Some of the guys that I think they were expecting to be important backup guys are not practicing. Josh Fryer, uh, obviously, like primarily among them. Um, so they're at the number they want. I don't think I expect that to change, although it, I think it could change because 16 still seems like a lot. And a lot of them are freshmen and sophomores, like either redshirt freshmen or second or third year sophomores. Like that's, they only have of those 16, only four are juniors or seniors. So there's going to be some guys who maybe start to just do some math. Yeah, I mean, 16, I think, is the right number. I mean, that that's one of those where there's not a ton of third-year guys in offensive line room. There's actually some fifth-year guys in that room. But this is that 2020 class where they just took a lot of lower-rated offensive linemen. And so Josh Fryer, Jacob James, Trey LaRue, and Great Grant Tutant are all third-year redshirt sophomores. And we think Josh Fryer probably has a role as certainly – in the two deep, maybe their sixth offensive lineman, maybe their seventh offensive lineman. Jacob James feels like he might be in the two deep. I think Tutant was out there in the, but some of those guys, listen, they, when you take a, a crop of guys who aren't as highly rated there, they're not all going to hit. And then if once you get to your third or fourth year, if you're not hitting, then you are a candidate to go. So I don't, I think that number stays. I think there's a chance they lose one. This offseason, yeah. not by plan, but maybe somebody in there does a little math. But to your point, where the math really starts mattering is it's your third and fourth year and you're not in the two deep. They don't have that many veteran guys, so they might be a year away from any kind of offensive lineman really saying, hey, is this the place for me long term? And the, the four veteran guys they have, those are the ones that are by their eligibility, seniors and juniors right now. Matthew Jones, starter. Dewan Jones, starter. Paris Johnson, Jr., starter. And then Enoch Vamahi, who right now sounds like he might be their sixth offensive lineman, depending right. on the health of Josh Fryer. So I think those guys are all locked in. I'm actually going to say yes, I think they lose someone too. Another thing to remember is that that scholarship line doesn't include Toby Wilson, who was getting like depth chart time last year at center. So I don't know where he's going to stand as we go into this fall. I know that You've got Luke Whipler, Jacob James. I talked to him last week, and he seems kind of locked in as the backup center. But that's one other person in the mix who is potentially pushing down, holding down, whatever you want to say it, one of those like third or fourth year guys who isn't getting on the field yet. So that's offense. And we actually, again, they're under their number, but we think they could fall farther under their number. But it doesn't, it, but not in a way that would seem to hurt them in any way in the short term. No, I think they're okay. And and it's a matter of do you think, even though they're one over on tight end, would they still be open to a tight end who came available in the portal after spring football? Now that Cade Stover has moved, I don't know. It certainly felt like if Cade Stover had moved, I think we'd be saying they're at five and we think that number's going to go up. So I think that's like in terms of, could they lose a, an offensive lineman? Maybe, right? That kind of thing. In terms of adding, I don't, I think maybe the only place where they might add between now and August offensively would be a tight end. Yes. And so, yeah, that 
we were saying that scholarship number will change, but actually that scholarship number tight end might not change by the fall. Yeah. They might lose someone and add someone because that is the place where the portal would seem on offense would give them the most immediate impact potentially. Yep. So on defense right now, uh, the way Ryan Day laid it out, it actually, so he said later 41 on each side and three specialists, but the numbers he put out actually add up to 43, but you've got some wiggle room there. He put, he, the way he stated it was eight each at defensive end, defensive tackle, linebacker and cornerback and then 11 safeties slash bullets. This is how long ago we were talking to him about this, was that he, he actually you still use the term bullet, which was maybe the last time in Ohio State coach we used the term bullet. So now... So just, and, and just to, when you think about that, it still does fit how they yeah. think because at the four positions where you have two starters, two defensive ends, two defensive tackles, two linebackers, two corners, you have eight guys each. And then at the one position where you have three starters, which is safety now, you have 11 guys. So it's basically just you want four guys at each spot. There's 11 right. starters on defense. If you if you go four deep at every spot, that, again, frankly, the math of most of this, it's like, what is it? It's four guys at every spot. Because right. there's, a, there's 22 starters. There's, if you have four guys at each spot, that's 88. And then if you have three specialists, that's 91. So then you're six over. So it's four guys at every spot, knowing there's got to be a couple guys, a couple spots where there's only three guys because yeah. you're over at that. But that's a rough way of doing this. As much as I felt like Ryan Day explaining this was revelatory, it's also like, oh, well. You know, when you deconstruct it, yeah. Four guys at every spot and then figure out where you can be a little light based on where's your talent, where – you know, where's the strength in a recruiting class? Where do you have a little walk on help? Where do you want to rotate guys situationally? And where do you not have to do it as much? It makes sense. Yeah. And you also, in any place where they start more than two guys, that's where the number. So, like receiver and safety, it's three spots, but it's not 12, it's only 11. And offensive line, it's only 16. Um, but that's still three wide. And then it, when you're talking about having four at each spot, on those four defensive spots, you also see where it just bakes in some wiggle room because you don't need a fourth string guy at all four of those spots. Probably right. if you only had seven, you're going to be okay. So at defensive end, his number is eight. They actually have 10 right now. Now that Mitchell Melton has moved from linebacker to defensive end. I think this is, it's, it's interesting because I don't know that I think this is in place though, where they'll necessarily lose someone because there's a lot of guys you see what the role would be. And then three of them are freshmen. I don't think those guys are going to leave yet. So really you're just talking about, and although I also don't know how much they'll play. So you're really talking about for those other two spots, you have seven guys for the coming year. Right. Yeah. No, I think it it's, it's slightly heavy, but it's not crazy. You did just wind up, you know, Zach Harrison staying for his senior year. It's not like it threw anything off, but that certainly didn't have to happen, right? And then when you have like Javante Jean-Baptiste and Tyler Friday as veteran guys, and you have Sawyer and JT who are going to play a lot as second-year guys, it's a little heavy, but it's reasonable. And again, we're putting Mitchell Melton at defensive end now, which is a transition from linebacker. So it's a guy out of the linebacker room. He becomes the 10th defensive end. It certainly sounds like they like his potential there and that he's excited about that move. He's not going anywhere. And three of them are true freshmen. 
So this is one of those where I think they'll just, they have three seniors. They'll just be a little heavy here this year and be fine. And by the way, Mitchell Melton, we were told this week that is how how State lists him now. He is a defensive lineman or defensive end, however you want to say it. Like he's with that group. So think of that in terms of the the roster that you have in your head. Defensive tackle, Ryan Day said eight. They have eight right now. And it's one of the most equal distributions on maybe the most equal distribution on the team as far as by class. Two seniors, John Cage, Tron Vincent, two juniors, Jade McKenzie, Noah Potter. Two sophomores, Ty Hamilton, Tyleek Williams, two freshmen, Mike Hall and Hero Canoe. Mike Hall being a redshirt freshman who we think will play and Hero Canoe who's not here yet. That's obviously that. I mean, that that seems like a rock solid number right now. Yeah, I could see I could see maybe losing one out of there. I, I, I could see that because I think you can then do some things. You could slide. You know, we've been talking about is could Tyler Friday play a little bit inside mm-hmm. this year? We list him as an end, but. He's a veteran guy. He's a senior. He slides in a little bit. They're at eight. I wouldn't be shocked if they got to seven before August at defensive tackle. Again, it's one of those places where if if you're getting into your fourth year and you're not getting on the field, do you look elsewhere? I I, I understand that. Linebacker, another number. He said eight. They have 10, although that has obviously dropped a bit by – we, we really thought that was going to be the like attrition central for this team going into the spring when we thought Cody or I'm sorry, Cade Stover was definitely going to be a linebacker. And um, when we thought Mitchell Melton was still a linebacker, but taking both of those guys out makes that more manageable. And they actually have a pretty good distribution across classes as well. And two of them are, are true freshmen, although one of them, CJ Hicks, we anticipate being in the mix for playing time. I think this number, I think it could change. I don't know that I expect that it'll change, especially because they are making that third linebacker spot. And you just, you talked to Reed Carrico about this a lot yesterday, that if they prioritize that and get those guys to buy into that, those guys have a reason to stick around. The guys who are like first and second string at that spot. It's hard because if you break it down by guy, all right, so there's 10 linebackers. Jalen Johnson, CJ Hicks, and Gabe Powers are three guys listed as freshmen. They just got here. They're not going anywhere, right? Reed Carrico feels like he has a spot as a second-year guy, and Chip Trainum just transferred here. So they're the, they're the two guys listed as sophomores. They're not going anywhere. Then the guys listed as juniors, Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, Cody Simon, they all seem like they're right in the mix. Steel Chambers probably today would start Tommy Eichenberg probably today would start. And then Cody Simon certainly feels like he's going to have a role. So are any of them going to go anywhere? And then you get to the two seniors. And frankly, the two seniors are just the guys that I think are, there are reasonable questions about where do they fit in, but would they decide to go anywhere? We don't know, but if you're looking for veteran guys who might want to get on the field and certainly their playing time in this crowded room is not locked in. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't that's know. The, it, it, I could, you, is there a world where I could see Neo Teote being the starting Sam instead of Carico? And by starting, I mean, the one time they start <laughs> Sam or the, the guy that they use, I, maybe, 
I could see that. Mitchell's the one that it's harder to see what his path is, but that was already true before he decided to come back for the spring. So I don't know what his, what he's thinking. If you would have thought he certainly could have transferred by now if he wanted to. So could he, after spring football, we're not trying to put that in. This guy's a cap. This guy's like a Buckeye through and through. You just, if you're looking for a playing time squeeze veteran linebackers here, I think they lose somebody. I don't think they have 10 now. Ryan Day says eight. I don't think they're at 10 in the fall. Yeah, the, the more I think it through, I think you're probably right that they probably will lose someone. Cornerback, he said eight. This is where they're light on defense. They only have six scholarship cornerbacks. And again, it's a young group. Cam Brown is the senior. Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock are true sophomores. To Kalen Johnson, a redshirt freshman because he didn't, play very much last year because of injuries and Jair Brown and Ryan Turner coming in as true freshmen. I think the scholarship number, if the scholarship number changes, it'll be because they found someone else to come in. It won't be because they lost someone. They have four guys they believe in who are ready to play and two true freshmen. That's it. That's. And one of the guys, Cam Brown, who's a good player has had some injury problems. So you get down to, for a group that, because it's, I mean, Legend Cavazos is gone. Ryan Watts is gone. Both those guys, oh, those guys were playing early last year. This is one of those, again, it's one, it, oh, the Elias Ricks thing. It's like, oh, they didn't want Elias Ricks because they were worried that people were going to transfer. It's like they have six quarterbacks on the whole team. Elias Ricks probably helped these guys. So who, who knows what really happened there? Um, I think they really like they top, their top four. I think they feel very good about J.K. Johnson, Jordan Hancock, Denzel Burke, and Cam Brown but they've got to build depth there and good luck, Tim Walton. There's, this is a room to recruit to. There's room, go get some five stars. There's room to get some corners in here. And what makes it iffy is again, I'm not trying to drag these guys, but like Cam Brown has, is he's just been a guy that's gotten banged up a couple years in a row now. And Kalen Johnson, we haven't got to see him really yet because he was banged up a little bit last year. And there's no reason to like assume that he will have problems again. But that's where the four that you really like, you can see how quickly it can become two. And then you are counting on those two freshmen again. And sometimes that's Denzel Burke and sometimes it's not. More often than not, it's not Denzel Burke that you end up when you're throwing a true freshman out there early in his career. So I, I can understand. There's, there's a lot to like about Kai Stokes and Ryan Turner. I think mm-hmm. they both are dudes who would like be like, you need me, let's go. I, but you are exactly right. You can't assume that you can't. They're trying to win a national championship, right? the The idea of like, oh, well, what would happen? Oh, we'll just put in a freshman corner. It's cool. It's like, well, is it? So, yeah. And then at safety, they want eleven. They have eleven, and a pretty even distribution across the roster. I think that's probably a number that doesn't change uh i could i under there are some guys who i think could leave it's kind of like linebacker almost it's like but if you haven't left by now are you just sticking around for the for the full ride i misspoke by the way i said kai stokes and ryan turner kai stokes the safety ryan turner and jair brown right corner as the young true freshman corner yeah no i think this is a pretty reasonable uh breakdown clearly lathan ransom coming back from a broken leg that's tough josh proctor coming back that's tough um couple young guys Sonny Styles is going to make noise here the one guy that's just I mean it's just an interesting 
situation story is that Marcus Hooker is still here as a yep. redshirt senior who for a time was not with the team because of allegations that happened off the field. And, and clearly those got sorted out to some degree because he's back on the team. And so he was a guy, he's a, was once a starter. He's not a starter anymore. He's not going to be a starter, but he has chosen to still remain part of this team. So again, if you're, would I be shocked if they lost a safety? I wouldn't be shocked, but if I had to pick right now, I guess I would say they're at 11 safeties now. I'd pick 11 safeties for the fall. Stay in there. So like we said, they're at 88. We picked three positions that were like the consensus. We think they will probably, we would expect that they might lose someone. Tight end, offensive line, and linebacker. And then you also said that you could see one at defensive end. And so you see how they have the room, even maybe to bring someone in. And it's probably not going to be a crisis, but it, it will be tight. And I think the only question is, do they find someone? It, it makes you be, I think, even more um, choosy than usual if you're thinking you're going to try to bring in a transfer if someone shakes loose this spring. Because you you don't have a lot of it, – it's not like you have – it's not like you're at 84 and you think, well, we can bring someone in and there's no penalty or there's no repercussions to it. Like here there, there clearly are, like you're, you're moving someone else around. Yeah, and like Bryson Shaw, they just lost. They're at eleven safeties. They already lost the safeties. Like we, had, if we had done this last week, we'd have been like, "Oh, they have twelve safeties." And if they're talking about Legend Cavazos as a nickel safety, then they have thirteen safeties. Man, we would have said, "Oh, they got to lose some safeties." Well, he just lost two, but you could still see how they could lose more. So again, this is the places where they've lost guys so far are are places where you would have predicted it, but it's still not enough. And they have two kickers on scholarship and Noah Ruggles and Jake Seibert. They have Jesse Mirko as their punter. They often have had a long snapper on scholarship. They don't right now. We don't know what's going to happen with the two kicker spots. Noah Ruggles could have chosen to go to the NFL. He didn't. He's here. Jake Seibert is still lined up as, you know, the next guy. Um, but we're just telling you they're at 88. If you don't count Mitch Rossi, they're at 87. So, we're not trying to run guys off. They have to lose at least two guys, maybe three. And if they want to add in the portal, then four. That's just the reality, and that's the way the numbers are right now. And Ryan Day never seems overly worried about this stuff. His typical response is, these things sort themselves out. Now, I don't know if that's his, him not wanting to come out and say, we tell guys they should leave. Um, or if they just are so blunt to guys about where they're going to end up on the transfer or, or I'm sorry, on the, on the death chart that not in a mean way, but just being, being so blunt about it, that guys understand that they, they need to leave, but he isn't overly concerned in the conversations that we've had with him. Well, well listen, it has not yet happened in college football that a team has had to forfeit a game because it has too many players Quite on true. scholarship. So the idea of like, it'll work out. It's like, yes, it's worked out every single time for every single team in the history of college football. Has it always worked out for every player? No. So it will work out for the team. It's just how hard will things have to be sorted to get there because it will get there. So in the end, it's not really a program issue. It's are there going to be players 
who feel unfairly treated. And we're not, we're talking about every program in the country because this is happening at every program in the country. This is, this is the way the right. system works. So in the portal, it is a little different of, Hey, if you're like shoving guys out, now they've got to go sit out a year and you're jeopardizing their career. Guys can go play right away. So that does make it a little easier, but in the end, it's the team will be fine. And we hope that all the players involved will be fine. But really, it's more of a player conversation than a team conversation. It is. and But I also think that if you are on the Ohio State's coaching staff and you have players like, well, I mean, it's to say Bryson Shaw, um, Darian Henry Young, like those guys who are in that, that middle group, like I think you can honestly go to them and say like, look, if you're thinking about leaving, the sooner you leave, the more options you have at which school you end up at. I mean, Darren Henry Young went to Kentucky. He's at another power five place. And the reports that we've heard from down there, sounds like they like what he's doing down there. He's going to be able to help them uh, win football games. So I think they can, you can honestly do that. I I don't know. I don't want to give Ohio state a, a blanket benefit of the doubt on this. I'm sure there are players around the country that do get like run out of their programs, but I think you can also have like honest kind of like business decisions with guys and say, sometimes it's in your best interest. If you're thinking about this, don't wait until May. Don't go before spring even. You can be enrolled somewhere else. You can be in spring ball somewhere else. You can be getting yourself in position to play as early as this fall. And in a lot of situations, I do think your coaches help you. They all know each other. They know where there's right. an opportunity. They call a friend and say, hey, man, I have a great guy here, great player. Just isn't quite fitting here with what we have he can really help you and all of a sudden yeah that players at maryland or wake forest or rutgers or you know whatever so it doesn't we understand this now we all understand transferring is not bad it's not a bad thing it's a good thing transferring when a player doesn't want to transfer is still a bad thing so we're not saying that's happening but we remain cognizant and aware and hoping that it doesn't we're going to come back and talk a little about ohio state's other roster the assistant coach roster after the break here on buckeye talk back on buckeye talk ohio state released the last two like unspecified un unreleased contracts from this current coaching staff yesterday actually i guess they released more than that because there are a couple of coaches Larry Johnson and Kevin Wilson, who got contract extensions, but not raises. But the two that we were really paying attention to were Brian Hartline and Tony Alford, because we knew they had received promotions in the offseason and that that was probably going to come with a raise. And it did. Hartline up to $950,000. That is a $350,000 raise from what he was making before. That's a big raise. We're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, Tony Alford, he got about $130,000 raise to go up to $750,000. And Corey Dennis also received a $100,000 raise. He starts a new contract and bumped from three hundred dollars to $400,000. Well, let's start with Heartline because that number is reflective to me of a lot of things. Part of it is the job he's done. There's, I mean, He might be considered the best receivers coach in the country now, kind of across the board. Certainly what he's done from a recruiting standpoint alone, but then the way he's developing guys, he's going to have two first-round receivers. And it, it's also reflective of how sought after he is from other places. I mean, we've heard those rumors slash reports slash rumblings out there in the offseason. People were coming after Brian Hartline. And as much as he has connections to Ohio State, and I think legitimately he probably doesn't want to leave, 
you also got to treat him right and respect that other people are probably coming after him with lucrative offers. So yeah, that number is significant to jump half again, your salary up and all the way up to just short of a million, which is probably again, the same way that Jim Knowles makes 1.9. It might make, might be very pointed that Brian Hartland only makes 950,000. I'm surprised it's not 999999999. But I think I think they didn't want to go to four coaches making a million, but I mean 950,000, he's now fourth on the fourth in the assistant line group as far as salary. So it's Jim Knowles first, then Jim Knowles Larry, first. No, Kevin Larry Wilson is Kevin second Wilson. at 1.4. Larry Johnson is at 1.133 million. Okay. And then Brian Hartline. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things. We, we referenced it a lot. We had a, a really interesting news, con- news conference with Brian Hartline during the season last year, talking about his status, why he loves Ohio State. And at some point, the money won't be able to keep him here because the opportunity, it won't be about money. This, I think, was the, was the let's make sure the money is keeping him here step. So the next time somebody comes after Brian Hartline, it's going to be, because again, the reports are that like Marcus Freeman was trying to get him to go to Notre Dame. It's like a parallel move, but he played with Marcus. He knows Marcus. The idea of, like at some point, there's not enough you can pay somebody because that someone's going to make him an offensive coordinator and play caller, or the NFL is going to come, or he's going to get a head coaching opportunity. So this might be it. Won't be. I'm not saying it's the last time Brian Hartline gets a raise. I think it's the last time he gets a three hundred fifty thousand dollar raise, right? Because this is as good as they can do for him without making him the play caller, or without making him the head coach, right? What what else? What else can they do? I think they did everything they can under the current existing circumstances. And he's still here, which is good for Ohio state and good for Brian Hartline. And it puts him in a range too, where if you're going to bring him on as a coordinator somewhere else, you really have to back that up financially. You weren't going to be, you know what I mean? Like somebody could make him a million dollar year offer to come be their offensive coordinator previously. Now that doesn't, that's not nearly as attractive. He can make right. the same amount of money and still stay here and, and all that. So someone really have to, back that up. You'll see that sometimes with even head coaches where like at lower levels, they'll, if they got a head coach, they want to keep, they pay him up to a certain point because then they know that there's only a handful of programs in the country that could possibly overpay to get him. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think uh, it's still, I'm a, are you surprised at how big the race was? I'm a no. little surprised at how big the race was. No. Um, for the reason that I just said, like it, it, it ensures that, there's the only way he leaves now is if someone is offering him like what, like 1.5 million, like some number that Ohio state just can't jump to can't justify jumping to, to keep a receivers coach slash passing game coordinator, which he is now. Yeah. But again, I don't think he'll leave. He will not leave to be a college receivers coach. And I think that was true before. I think that was always true. Brian Hartline is not leaving for the same job somewhere else, but if someone tried to come get him, you still have to give him a raise, even though you knew he wasn't going to leave. Because if you don't, then it's like, oh, so now they don't, right? They 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 had to do this. So, yeah. and it's not like he's, everyone knows my stance on this, but like, is he quote worth it? I mean, they're an offensive team led by quarterbacks and wide receivers 
and he's as good at his job recruiting and developing wide receivers as anybody in the country. So what college football assistants make right now is bazonkers. None of it makes sense. It's way too much for everybody. But in the context of this, yeah, he's worth it. And we've said this before, but the natural progression of things were, to me still, is if Kevin Wilson were to ever leave for another head coaching job, now you've poised Heartline to potentially just get bumped to offensive coordinator here where he wouldn't be the play caller and stuff, but then you could justify paying him even more as they've yeah. done with Kevin Wilson. Yes, I agree. Right. That, that, and then would you reach a point where Ryan day hands over play calling duties? It's still Ryan day's offense and Ryan day has veto power and it's collaborative, but who actually is on the headset on Saturday saying this is the play. If you're really trying to keep heartline, that's the next thing. Cause at some point, at some point money's not enough. It's gotta be responsibility. So Tony Alford, who already had the like an associate head coach for offense title before they made him the run game coordinator, he bumps up to seven hundred fifty thousand, which is also what they're paying Tim Walton. That's less than what Justin Fry makes. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, that doesn't seem right to me. What's Justin Fry make? Eight hundred thousand. So it's yeah. it's small, but sometimes when it's small, it seems even more. The the principle of the thing is what stands right. out to you. Yeah, I don't know why I don't know why Tony Alford doesn't make more than Justin Fry. I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on these things. There are more offensive linemen than there are running backs, yes. but I'm not sure that's exactly the deal of like if you're just going by how many guys are in your room is that oh, we're just we're we're paying you per player. Tony Alford's like I got four guys. It's like, "Oh, sorry, Tony, we can only Justin Fry's like, my room is so full. I don't, I don't think that's what it is. Um, it's hard because it's one of those things. It's like, this is the kind of stuff that just makes you in, in life. It's like when you get a, you, you're, you know, you have a, a cell carrier and then they're giving free phones away to the new people. And it's like, well, why don't I get a free phone? I've been a customer for six years. And Tony Offord's like, I, do you remember JK Dobbins? Do you remember Travion Henderson? What are you and like? Just it's like, well, Justin Fry, we had to get him to come here. It's like, what are you talking about? So I would pay Tony Alford more than I would pay Justin Fry because you know what? This is a great opportunity for Justin Fry. You think Justin Fry wouldn't have come for seven or just 750, just the same number? Yeah. yeah, he's also the associate head coach for offense, so he has one of those titles too. And I don't know that we've completely sussed out what each of those titles actually means within the, the scheme of what Ohio State's doing, but that they affect what you what they decide to pay you. The other thing that I've been tracking is this brings Ohio State's assistant coaching pool, the salary pool for 2022, to $8.783 million, which is over a million more than it was last year. Last year, it was $7.65 million, so $1.13 million more. Basically, Larry Johnson's salary more than what they were paying last year. There was only one program in the country that was over $8 million for its assistance last year, and that was Clemson. And that was because you had Brent Venables and Tony Elliott, who'd been there for forever and had, had built themselves to that level. Now both of them have left. So as far as I can tell, LSU's new staff was $8.56 million, And with these raises, Ohio State jumps past that. And I have not been able to – there's still some contracts out there that I haven't been able to track down for some of these programs, but I – Everything I have found says that Ohio State now has, not only is this the most they've ever paid their assistants, but this is now the biggest assistant coaching pool in the country for 2022. I can't believe it. I can't believe that Ohio State has gotten to this point. I, I never would have believed it. 
with the way that the Big Ten did things for a long time. And the SEC is a different world in a lot of ways. It's one of the most difficult things about college football is that it's a regional sport with national implications. And you come together nationally at the end, but really you're operating in your own fiefdoms for 360 days a year. But yet it matters because it's the same job market. And if the SEC is like, ah, we'll pay a million dollar coach, that's nothing. Okay, it, it affects the market. So I understand Ohio State keeping up with that, but that Ohio State is first. Ryan Day likes it. Ryan, all coaches, all head coaches want their assistance to be taken care of. All head coaches want their assistance to be taken care of. It is a very good way to prove, quote, prove that a program is invested and is doing everything they can. So from that standpoint, I'm sure Ryan Day is very excited about this. This is too much. I don't think Ohio State should be paying their assistance this much. This is a great place to work. This is a great thing for your career. Columbus is a wonderful city. The pre- as much as this is a, a pressure cooker, it's not the same as the SEC. I think it is a really good lifestyle while also winning at the highest level. I think you could argue that Ohio State, we always talk about like the best job. That's usually in terms of a head coach. I think in terms of where you would want to work as an assistant coach, I think you could argue that Columbus, Ohio, and Ohio State is the best place in the country for an assistant coach to work. So that in itself is its own reward to some degree. I don't think Ohio State needs to have the highest paid assistants in the country. And I think they've gone a little crazy. I want to make sure I'm just kind of going to cover my bases here a little bit. Georgia was at 7.925 million last year. And after you win a national championship, if you keep a lot of those same guys, you'll see some, some bumps. So maybe they would add, you know, another million dollars in salary and surpass them, but that might be the only team out there that is within reaching distance of them. The, the, the cycle, the reason that they're going to rank first is different than how much they're paying them in some ways. Because one you control and one is controlled by the people around you. Like I said, Clemson loses a couple guys. Uh, Mike Elko was making a bunch of money as Texas A&M's DC. He left for a head coaching job. So some of the other contenders have sort of just dropped this year. But it's it's I mean they're right on the cusp of paying nine million. When I said, well, like I said, Clemson was the only program paying anybody even eight last year. That's that's just a significant jump. And do they feel like? Is it just the way they've gotten caught with the cycle where they already had some high-paid assistants like Larry Johnson, like Kevin Wilson, who've been here a while, and then they had to go overpay in some ways to get Jim Knowles, for lack of a better term? Or did they feel like they had to pay this much and even outspend some of the other national contenders in order to get to where they need to be? So I'm sure if we had Gene Smith on right now, I mean, you can run through it. They had to get Jim Knowles. They, they feel like they had to get Jim Knowles. He's the head coach of the defense. He's really more than an assistant. And so if they're paying him $2 million a year, so be it. They had never gone there before, but he was the hottest guy in the marketplace. And just Columbus being lovely and Ohio State being a national championship contender wasn't enough. They had to outbid people for him. Okay. Kevin Wilson's a former Power 5 head coach. Very accomplished, more accomplished than most offensive coordinators who are not the primary play caller. So they got to pay him a lot. Okay. Larry Johnson's a legend, best defensive line coach in the country. One of the best defensive line coaches of all time. Does he deserve his salary? Yes. Okay. 
Brian Hartline, hot up and comer. Everybody wants him. Super necessary to their success. Do you have to pay him a million dollars a year almost? Yes, they feel like they do. Right. So I think the, the top four guys, again, and part of this is like what happened? Knowles blew this out of the water. 1.9 a year for Knowles. I mean, it's like that's that's just territory they'd never been in before. So we get it. But then it does come down to some of this stuff. You do want to reward guys like Tony Alford. And they had to get Tim Walton, I guess, and they had to get Justin Fry. Feels like 800 grand for Justin Fry. It's like, what if you didn't get Justin Fry? I don't know. Get the other good offensive line coach. So this is one of those, I would say Gene Smith. Gene Smith's answer to this would be, this isn't our plan. This really isn't, we don't want to be first in the nation in assistant coach pool. We want to be in the mix. We think we should be top five, but there are individual circumstances that pushed us here, which is both strength and weakness. Brian Hartline and Kevin Wilson and Larry Johnson deserve it. And that strength. And we had to pay Jim Knowles and Justin Fry and Tim Walton this money to go get them because of weakness, because we're replacing people in areas where we didn't think we were good enough. So you pay for strength, you pay for weakness, and all of a sudden you are paying assistant coaches more than any program in the country. I don't know that that's a banner that Gene would wave around. You want to be invested. You want to be invested. You want to prove to your head coach and to people that matter around the program that you're invested. But I feel comfortable saying this is a little nuts. And I think in five years, they won't be number one. In three years, they won't be number one. Right. Again, just because of like, again, with Clemson, it's just you bounce up and down as guys, veteran guys come and go. Uh, even if they, by the way, if they paid Jim Knowles 1.7 million, by my mat, by my numbers, they would still be number one right now. So like you would have to have gone down to a point where you couldn't have probably hired him to where you wouldn't be number one right now. So he is kind of what's, he's not what makes up that whole million dollar difference from last year, but he is pushing you past the, he's pushing you into the number one spot. And I remember having a conversation with Gene Smith in recent months, just sort of a a kind of a passing conversation where I said something about, I think you guys are going to be number one in the assistant coach pool. And he's like, well, we better be, we should be, or we better be. And not in a way that like, you could hear in his voice that like, it's not like the spending is out of control, but that he is not flippant about the spending. You know what I'm saying? Like he understands, like, yes, we, we, by what the commitment that we're making and the way this is working out, I hope that number is number one. Cause if not, it means somebody else is, I guess, spending to some insane degree. What's Perry Eliano making? Do you have the top of your head? Cause we haven't talked about I him. Have it right in this f- is not news. No, no. Uh, Eliano actually is at 400,000, which is the same thing that Corey Dennis is now at Parker Fleming is at 300,000. So for instance, so that, so Tim Walton's making 750 cause he's a veteran guy coming from the NFL. Perry Eliano was at What's the school Cincinnati. in Texas he was at, but he was at Cincinnati for two years before that he was at Bowling Green before that he was like at Texas Southern or something. He was at much lower level schools, but I know Steven just wrote about this after the recruiting commit that Ohio state got on Wednesday you know who I think people are really excited about to have on the Ohio State staff? Perry Eliano. And he didn't have to pay him 800000 So I would like to see Ohio State hire a few more Perry Elianos, frankly, because 
I think that they were they got caught in a cycle here where they had to pay for some big time guys, and then they had the Parker Fleming, Corey Dennis internal hires who were scraping the bottom of the barrel, and then who's in the middle? Perry Eliano. They should have three Perry Elianos. What's Perry Eliano? A young coach on the rise. That this is a great opportunity for him. You do not have to throw seven hundred and fifty at Perry Eliano to get him to come here but he's absolutely qualified, absolutely ready, and he's going to go kill it. So they need more Paralelianos. And then guess what? Your salary pool comes down a little bit. And then, listen, and then in three years, after Paralelianos has been killing it, and people are trying to come get him, and he's a difference maker, then you got to pay to keep him. Okay, then I, I get it. You're paying to keep Brian Hartline. I get it. I'm not begrudging Brian Hartline his money, but I just, I think, I think they got caught a little bit here. I don't begrudge any of these guys, their money. They're trying to raise their families. I get it. Best of luck to them. The schools do it to themselves. You can trick yourself into thinking we have to do this when actually when you're Ohio state, you don't have to, you just have to be smart but you don't have to throw money around to be smart. Perry Aliano was a smart hire. And I think we all think it's going to work and he's making 400 grand. And it should be pointed out, Larry Johnson received a one-year contract through this next season. I think it expires January, 2023. So he's obviously going to retire at some point and they're so not going to pay. They're almost always on two-year cycles on the assistance. He only re up for one. Correct. That feels like a headline to me. Have people made note of that? That Larry Johnson is on a one-year contract in a world where almost all assistants are on two-year deals? It was noted in the things that people reported yesterday, but it was not the headline, no. I'm not trying to get ahead of the story or anything, but sometimes things matter. That feels like a thing yes. that might matter. Well, that's why I'm bringing it up, because they're, they're not going to pay their next defensive line coach $1.133 million. That is true. That is true. So there's one true. way where you, you, you come down a little bit on this list. But I also think that Gene Smith, well, I know fans would say this, and I think Gene Smith himself might even say this. If they're standing at the national championship game with a trophy in January and they're going to, everyone's going to say, really, out of a $200 million athletic budget, you spent $1 million more dollars and helped you win a national championship, everybody's going to say, yeah, that's fine. Which is how you wind up with a $200 million athletic department budget, a million dollars at a time. This is like punch counterpunch here. It's why I wind up, it's why I wind up. 15 pounds overweight, right? One cookie at a time. What's one cookie? A journey of a thousand cookies begins with one cookie. (laughs) Speaking of cookies, we're going to come back after the break and talk about what you're watching, what you're eating here on Buckeye Talk. What you eating, Doug? So I'm not eating it yet, but I'm very excited about a new fast food restaurant that is coming into my area, like two miles from my house. Chicken cone, it's chicken in a waffle cone. And also Hot Chicken Takeover has added chicken fingers to their menu. And in a world where I feel, I've I've said this before, I feel like there's an alternate universe where people like us say things like, man, I wish there was a fast food restaurant that was just chicken fingers. And then Kane's is like, no, we're good. We already did that. We We continue to lean into the chicken finger way of life. And I am here for it. Chicken in the end, chicken 
is probably my number one food as much as I like pizza and stuff. It's like, a, but like chicken is a broad range of things. Excuse me. Chicken is a broad range of things when frankly, it's actually, it's just one animal. It's just one animal on this earth. Is that a range? I mean, I guess there's different kinds of chickens. I'm not a chicken expert. And I only want the white meat part of the chicken. I don't want any dark meat part. I'm not a leg person. I'm not a thigh person. I want the white meat. And I, I'm not here to have the argument about boneless wings versus regular wings. I want white meat with sauce on it that's crunchy, bottom line. So in any form, I want a chicken tender. Small, big, in between, I want a chicken tender. The idea that hot chicken ta- takeover is doing tenders, and there's a hot chicken takeover two and a half miles from my house, and chicken cone is going in across the street. It's not, it's not that they're changing the tender. It's the delivery system. And again, our whole world these days, Nathan, is about the delivery system. I could go to, I've gone on rants about this. People of a certain, gener- of a younger generation are often, it's more about the delivery system than the content. It's like, oh, this is so easy. Oh, this is so cool. It's green. It's purple. It's like, yeah, but it's just the thing itself doesn't exist without the content inside of it. Do you care about the content as much as you care about the delivery system? So I'm telling you, I care about the content. I care about the tender. I care about the chicken. But there's only so far you can go with revolutionizing the chicken tender. Put it in a waffle. That's a heck of a delivery system. So I will be eagerly reporting back on Chicken Cone once it opens two miles from my house. It's not open yet, but I think it should be open in the next month. I love Hot Chicken Takeover. I used to love when I lived in the short north here in Columbus, I would walk like 20 minutes down High Street to the um, the north the market there that they have. North Market, yep. North Market. And there's a Hot Chicken Takeover in there. And... Every few weeks, I could just go down there and have insanely hot chicken for lunch. It was fantastic. But usually, but that that delivery system of that hot of the hot right is either like a chicken breast or mm-hmm. chicken. So I like sometimes I, a breast, had, I thought they had tenders on the meat on the. But I'm not. They sure had a chicken sandwich. I know. Yeah. I don't know if they. But had sometimes tenders. a chicken sandwich can be too plump and juicy for me. Sometimes I want more breading, less chicken, actually. That actually, talk about delivery system. Chicken itself is just a delivery system for breading for me. So I love the, the tender to me is the ultimate form of a chicken. Whatever you do, you take the chicken and you run it through the chicken processing machine, and then you shape it into a rectangle and bread it. God bless those chickens. Thanks for sacrificing for me. But I love you as triangles. Rectangles, so, <laughs> triangles, actually, or rectangles, circles, squares. So octagons. Go ahead. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned uh, a buddy of mine named Charlie, who uh, I do the. I'm in the fancy baseball league, and we do the beef crawl every year. And in the last couple of years, he's come and met, visited me in Columbus for that. His wedding gift to me and my wife was a smoker like a, a propane upright chimney uh, box thing smoker. And we did a brisket in there one time. The first thing we cooked that was like, we bought the brisket kind of already prepared and just smoked it. We thought that was fine. We did a turkey in there that came out looking good, but wasn't that great. But uh, a few weeks ago, we did a pork butt and smoked it in there. And it was like the most incredible thing I think I've ever cooked. It was perfection 
It was, you get a nice like bark on the outside. It's like this, this eight pound chunk of meat. You have to season it yourself. And then you set it out there. And it's a, it's a, the great thing he gave us was in addition to the smoker, you can get this like Wi-Fi thermometer that tells you when the temperature is, you can tell because it's supposed to be cooked slow over a long period of time. So if the temperature starts to spike too much, you can go out and add a little water to this tray and it brings the temperature of the, the smoker itself down a little bit. And it's, it's been just a really fun experience. I'm looking forward to doing it a lot this summer. And I highly recommend if you enjoy barbecue, I think it's a pretty low cost. I don't think these are super expensive and it's a very passive way of cooking. Like I said, like you do have to go out and like, if you're, if you're someone like me and you get to work from home or it's a weekend, you're going to be home anyway. And you just have to go every hour or so and add some water to that little tray. And at the end of the day, you have this just delicious pile of pork we it made so much that we were like we're gonna have to like freeze some of this right and then over the course of three days we just ate it all in like various incarnations like we're making sandwiches out of it we were making uh like chilaquiles out of it which is like a mexican egg and tortilla thing with so this wasn't like carnitas but it was like a good substitute for that we just found a way a, a an excuse to eat all eight pounds of that pork over the course of a few days you know what i'm looking forward to I like when I come on here and talk about something I got in a restaurant and then you, I'd say it's like 75% of the time, tell a story about something you cooked, right? Oh, it was this process and we enjoyed the process of what we did. You're going to have a baby and then you're going to be eating Burger King. And it's going to be like, oh, what happened to the smoker? It's like, well, I was trying to smoke something and the baby started crying and then we just went to Burger King. And then you're going to be in my world, Baird. Now, to be honest, I have talked about restaurants on here before. A, B, we have already made and frozen like four lasagnas and five trays of enchiladas and some stir fry mix that we like. So we've we've already started cooking and preparing the food that we're going to cook when the baby comes. Yeah. You know how long that baby's going to be in your house, though? 18 years. Forever. I don't think yeah. the enchiladas are going to last. <laughs> Welcome to Burger King. Yeah. You act like I've never eaten at a Burger King. Have people seen me? Have people no, seen but, the videos? Like I've eaten plenty of Burger King. I'm always jealous of your cooking stories. And it was like, oh, my wife and I, we we were in the kitchen together and we were seasoning something. And I'm like, my wife and I haven't been in a kitchen seasoning something together since the 90s. What are you? How do you have time? It's like, oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Your baby's coming. I'm not trying to taunt you. I'm just welcoming no, you I understand. to the Burger King way of life. And we are prepared for that. Like as we do like our household budget, I think our restaurant budget is actually going to increase, even though we're not actually gonna be able to leave the house very much for those few months when the baby first comes. But we're anticipating there being many days where we're just like exhausted and hungry. Mm-hmm. And we're like, let's just call somebody. Let's let them figure this out. Good plan. That is true. Well, when I come back from leave, I'll have a bunch of what you eaten to catch up on. Yeah. I can give you a list. I'll keep a diary. Oh, that'll be good. Uh, what I've been watching is I'm, I'm very late to the Ted Lasso party. We finally, because you only get it on the Apple Plus or whatever. And I, we got that. We got a subscription to that so we could watch Coda the day of the Oscars because we knew that it was the other like big contender. We wanted to see what it was about. And that was the other thing that kind of jumped out at us. So like, Oh, we can finally watch Ted Lasso. And we like cranked out the first season in a week. 
and it's uh, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it. I think you would you would like it a lot. I would like soccer. it. I think we've talked a little bit about it here. Is he too cheesy for me? It's you think so. So I had always heard these things about like it's this like uplifting show and it is. But I don't want to give away too much. The first episode, I was kind of like, I'm not going to be able to like this is maybe a little bit unrealistic. Like it's going to be like this unrelenting positivity or whatever. And then. The storyline does go in some places that you see it's more complex than that. That's all I'll say. I think you would still enjoy it. I think you would you'd enjoy it. I do like shows where the main character is a terrible person, which is why, like the anti-hero era of college well, yeah. of TV has been great for me. But w- w- that's all we watch anymore. Cause that's what it seems like every show is almost yeah. like whether the things that we've been watching recently, like Dexter and Ozark and um, yeah. all those oh, yeah. things, like uh, that is who all those people are like, you know, breaking bad um, better call Saul is about to come back. Like all of those shows, that yeah. is who those people are. So this has been a nice little palate cleanser. Oh, I no. think you can you can get some positivity, cleanse. but no. you can get a little positivity out of it without feeling like you're watching something that's like completely saccharine and uh, f- phony. Do I do I seem like a person who wants to be uplifted? I think we, I think I've mentioned this before. I'll watch it because we got the Apple Plus too. Because somebody got a phone, it was like, hey, get a free thing. So. Uh, we're watching the morning show on Apple Plus, which mm. is Jennifer Aniston, Steve Carell, and Reese Witherspoon. And everybody on there is a jerk. Yep. It's like Steve Carell being a jerk. I'm like, yes, give me more. Oh, they're horrible people. Um, but I'll, tr- I'll, I'll try Ted Lasso at some point. But like we got Apple Plus, have not yet watched Ted Lasso. Uh, do, have we talked about winning time a lot on here? I just did another podcast where we talked about winning time. We not I still haven't started. No, and I still okay. have not wa- started watching it. So Winning Time is the Lakers Showtime series. Um, it's not on Showtime. But that's, that's probably why they didn't call it Showtime. It's called Winning Time because it's on HBO. Because if it was called Showtime on HBO, yeah. it would be really confusing. Yeah. But it's odd. It's odd. I've had enough of Adam McKay. I still have not watched. the. He's the director of it. The Anchorman guy. I still have not watched like the full big short because the camera shakes too much. And he really likes you to know that he's directing the episode. There is like a directory thing every 90 seconds in winning time. And sometimes I would just like to watch things play out between the characters. And so I'm a little over it. It's he's a little full of himself. I can feel the Adam McCainus in it constantly. The actor who plays magic Johnson, you forget that it's not actually magic Johnson. If the performance of magic Johnson is great. And there's just a lot of weird off the court stuff. There's frankly too much nudity for me. I'm surprised by it. Like, I don't know why it's needed. Adam McKay. But just like the, the, the nudity to basketball ratio on winning time in the first five episodes is, is, is way off. So um, I don't like, I like the idea of the show, but the way it was adapted is actually a little off putting. Uh, So, some of the characters are really interesting. Jack McKinney, the story of him, the guy who was the first coach that year and what happened with him. If you don't know that story, it's worth watching just about that. Um, the Pat Riley portrayal is interesting 
again, a lot of it you can tell is it's not exactly the Jerry West portrayal has been very controversial because they make Jerry West seem like the biggest jerk in the history of the world. They make Pat Riley seem like the biggest loser in the history of the world. So it's very odd, but it's fairly entertaining. But my daughter and I are watching it because she's a huge basketball fan. And like, there's just not that much basketball. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you keep waiting They're They're finally getting around to some basketball. I'm not looking for recreations of, you know, the NBA finals necessarily, but Adam McKay, just like chill out a little bit. We get it. We get, we understand that you're the director. Your name's right at the beginning of the show. You don't Some have that, to remind us every 30 seconds. So he works with the same editor. His name's Hank Corwin that has done all those movies with him, or at least like the more serious movie. I don't know if he was the one who did some of those comedies, but like the big short and vice and don't look up. That was all Hank Corwin stuff. And that's like his edit editing style is that like quick cuts and short things. And sometimes in like, especially in don't look up, I thought the big short was fantastic. That's one of my favorite movies of the last like 10 years. In don't look up. There's a lot of stuff. That's almost just like non sequitur things that he throws in there and shows you. And that's just the style. And so, yes, McKay is the one who ultimately is giving him license to do that. But I'm curious if Hank Corbin is involved in this project, because that would explain why it's shot, like why it's cut like that. You know what I like? I like in Anchorman when Jack Black, punts the dog off the bridge <laughs> now this is happening that we say that all the time in my house now this is happening <laughs> and it wasn't edited weird it wasn't shot with a shaky camera it was just jack black picking up a dog and then punting a fake dog off a bridge that's what i want i don't want to typecast you out of mckay and say that all your movies have to be anchorman but just let the actors act Ugh. i'm old but it's an okay show. It's an okay yeah. show. It's not great. It's not a 10 out of 10. It's like a seven and a half, but there's That's enough so of a, of a, of a compelling actual story of what actually happened with the Lakers. When magic Johnson arrived and Jerry bus took over, uh, there's enough of an actual compelling story to drive it, but it, the way it's done drives me nuts more often than not. It was a different editor for him on anchorman. I had heard good things about the John C. Riley performance as yeah, it's good. So I had other friends who'd said that, but it's also friends of mine who are just big John C. Riley fans as we all have been since like Boogie Nights and then on since then, like he and Talladega Nights and all those other things. So um, I, I'm definitely, it's on my list of things to watch. Just haven't gotten around to it yet, but that's two, two sports related watch of watchings this week from the Buckeye hmm. Talker. I also saw that Channing Tatum, Sandra Bullock movie, but I'll say that for another time. It was just good to be in a movie in the dark eating popcorn. We've done that a few times. We have not been as reticent to go back and do that. You, that was your first time back in a theater since? No, no, I've been back. Okay. I've been back like two or three times, but we certainly don't go as much as we used to, but it's like, we're kind of like trying to get ourselves to go again. Yeah. So, and we, we need to pick one too, because we haven't been in a couple weeks and we're getting into the splash zone here when this guy's coming. So like, we need to find one and say that, what, well, we'll say this is our last movie before the, the birth, because I don't know how soon we'll get back into a theater. Babies do not like movies. No, and nor do the people who are at the movies when you bring a baby mm. there. <laughs> I think that that's actually correct. more of our suspicion. Like the baby might sit there and sleep, but as soon as it's not sleeping, now it's a problem for literally everybody in there. That's correct. That'll wrap up this episode of Buckeye Talk on Friday. You'll get another afternoon edition. We are talking to safeties and cornerbacks after Ohio State practice. That is the last player interview session that we're going to have for the spring. We get Ryan Day, I think, again next week, and then the spring game on Saturday. 
we'll be coming to you with a post spring game Buckeye talk to, we'll probably get some interviews after that game. But yeah, Friday we'll be talking to these safeties and these corners about what they're getting from Jim Knowles, how these new um, assistant coaches are working out, Perry Eliano and Tim Walton, and just how that group is coming together at the back end. For Doug Lee Maurice, I'm Nathan Baird. That was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>